I'm frustrated that 140 days have passed since my wife has been able to speak to me, to our family and to our friends. I'm frustrated that my wife is not going to get justice. Let's make sure this administration knows that they have our support to do whatever is necessary and that we are not going to ever be quiet until she's home safely. That was Sherelle Griner speaking at a rally in Phoenix on Wednesday night, imploring the president of the United States to do everything in his power to bring her wife, Brittany Griner, home. But Brittany Griner herself, just hours later, would plead guilty in a Russian courtroom, raising questions about what that means for her case and her status as wrongfully detained. So today, TJ Quinn explains why the WNBA star chose to plead guilty and what the United States might have to give up to bring Brittany Griner home. I'm Pablo Torre. It is Friday, July 8th. This is ESPN Daily. So, TJ, Brittany Griner pleaded guilty in Russian court yesterday, months after she had been arrested back in February at an airport outside of Moscow for bringing small amounts of hashish oil in a vape cartridge into the country. And she had been trying to enter the country because she plays basketball in Russia in the Phoenix Mercury offseason, like lots of WNBA stars do. So what do we know about what actually happened in court yesterday? She was speaking in English with, a, with an interpreter, said to the judge, you know, I'm, I'm pleading guilty. I did not intend to break Russian law. What she said was that she was packing too quickly at home and that she didn't mean to put these cartridges in her bag. Look, that, that, that's pretty plausible. It may well have happened. Um, people have done that. But you, you really have to be careful about looking at this the way you would an American case. She knows and her lawyers know that it's not just a matter of pleading guilty. It's letting Russia save face by saying, hey, you got me. And now Russia can say to a domestic and international audience, see, we told you this was legitimate. So was this guilty plea expected? There was a recognition over the last few weeks that she was going to be found guilty no matter what. Maybe they got the goods on her. Maybe they don't. It really didn't matter. There there was a recognition from anyone outside of Russia, basically, that this was theater. And I believe we've described it as kabuki on this very podcast. The real issue is the negotiation between the two countries about possibly trading her for somebody else. So the people I spoke to the last couple of weeks said it was looking more likely that she would plead guilty, knowing that, one, it's a foregone conclusion, right? In Russia, you can't really put up a defense. Even if you're a Russian citizen who has a really good defense case, the system is stacked so heavily against you, it's ridiculous. More than 99% of cases end in convictions. Hmm. The lawyers I spoke to said if, if a defense attorney finds exculpatory evidence during investigation— the prosecutor doesn't have to add it to the case file. And then if you try to raise it in court, the judge can say, well, it's not in the case file, so I'm not going to listen to it. That's what they were up against in the best of circumstances. 
But they knew this was about a trade. The second they're open to a deal, it's no longer jurisprudence. It's a negotiation. She is effectively a hostage. So the thought was, if she's going to get traded home, Russia will require at some point an admission of guilt. Why not get it over with? Say what you need to. Get the best sentence that you possibly can and hope that this somehow pushes the negotiations along. So the plea that was entered, the guilty plea, I know that on the record in Russia, it goes down as, yes, I am responsible for the cartridges. But in terms of what Brittany Griner's team, her camp herself, what she wants to convey about the truth of the matter, is there, can you describe the distinction between the plea and what they're trying to communicate? That's where it gets really tricky. The things they were worried about, one, how is the State Department going to react? Does it make it tougher for them to swing a deal? And does an admission do anything to affect her status as somebody who is officially wrongfully detained? Right. So Secretary Anthony Blinken put that to rest very quickly yesterday after the guilty plea saying, we are working hard to get her and other wrongfully detained Americans out of Russia. The very clear signal from state, it doesn't matter what she pleaded. And people I talked to who are familiar with the negotiations said there's a recognition that, hey, you got to do what you got to do to get out of there. And if that's what you need to say, fine, say it. So does it complicate it for them? That's, that's the risk. And then you've got a lot of people back in the States who may not have been particularly big Britney Griner fans to begin with. Certainly anytime I tweet something, they like to come out to play. And if you were inclined to not like her and not believe her in the first place, then here's your proof, QED. She did it, she admitted it. There is gonna be some explanation when she gets home. Maybe she gets home and says, hey, look, I said what I needed to wasn't true. Or maybe she says, yeah, I screwed up. It was an accident. It doesn't really change the negotiations, though. At the end of the day, Russia wants somebody back, and the U.S. wants to get her back. Everyone expects a trade. So as everybody is sort of operating on different levels of transparency here, TJ, just remind us what the sentence that Brittany Griner is facing might involve. Well, it's up to 10 years in a penal colony. Um, it's not a light sentence. And, they, and they'd and like to throw around heavy sentences. You know, American Paul Whelan, who's there, now that's an, that, he's there on an espionage conviction, which the U.S. says is, is wrong. But he got a 16-year sentence. You can argue whether or not it's to the letter of, of Russian law, but the point is that it's all transactional. Anybody who's there is a chit to be traded away. And, I, you know, to me, that's a, it's, a, it's a mistake that a lot of American media continue to make is to frame it as what happens within the courtroom is, is its own legitimate proceeding. Mm. I, I see it like you're at a basketball game and you can describe what's happening on the court, but if there's a fire in the grandstand, well, that's the bigger story. It's what's happening. Yes, there is something happening on the court or in the court in this case, but it's a sideshow to a larger issue that's going on. Yes, that is the game within the game. But just in terms of the bureaucracy, the next step on this timeline in terms of court, what does happen next? What's coming up? In terms of what happens in court, the bummer for her is that on top of having a guilty plea now, it doesn't really shorten the trial. The way it works in Russia, they still read the entire case file into the record. 
So what does what does that mean, TJ, for people unfamiliar with what reading a full case file into the record means anywhere? Let's say you or I got busted in the United States. There's going to be files and files of of investigative material. There are going to be witness interviews, forensic reports, the incident report from the officer, reports from the detective who did any follow-up. Usually in an American court, that is simply filed with the court, and it's all part of the record. Everyone just kind of agrees to it. And then when you show up in court for a trial, whatever the plea is, it's all part of the record. Russia doesn't work that way. Their system is the judge simply reads the case file into the record. All those files that they have on you and me, everybody has to sit and listen to them read that in court. Wow. Judge takes his sweet time. This is probably why there's no Russian court TV out there to watch. Um, It's about as dry a, a procedure as you can. And there are no fireworks. The defense... I'm told can raise objections, but rarely does. Uh, And when they do, they know they're going to be overruled. It is just a system completely built to convict. What happens inside the court, in the end, may be consequential to getting her home, maybe not. But nothing is going to happen again until she's back in court on July 14th. All right, TJ, after the break, I want to talk about the public campaign that is now spreading, calling for Brittany Griner's return and how all of this affects the larger game being played. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So, TJ, it's worth pointing out that this is the third time we have talked in covering this story. We last talked in late May when Griner's official designation had been changed to wrongfully detained, as we discussed. And that was crucial because, for those unfamiliar, the U.S. strategy had gone from let's keep this case under the radar to let us now make sure that everybody in the world knows that Brittany Griner does not deserve to be imprisoned. And the result of this, one of them, was that Brittany Griner's wife, Sherelle Griner, she began speaking to the media and began providing her own account of Brittany's initial detainment. How did Sherelle describe what had happened? Confusing, uh, dizzying, even suddenly getting texts from Brittany saying, you know, they've got me. Uh, I'm in this room. She started texting me around 2 a.m. that morning. Babe, 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 wake up. They have me in this room. I don't know what's going on. And so I instantly text back, who are they and what room? And she's like, 
the customs people, they just grabbed me when I was going through and they had me in this room. That exchange ended with Sherelle saying, call when you can. She sent me a message and said, they're about to take my phone, don't text anymore. So I'm like, just call me when you can, you know? And so that was it. And now we're more than 140 days past it. They still have not been able to speak. 141 days today, TJ, of waiting for that phone call. And in the meantime, what has Sherelle Greiner had to say about the response from the U.S. government thus far? She's been through it, uh, clearly. I mean, there are times where she's expressed real frustration with the White House, feeling like she wasn't getting the response that she needed. Uh, And then it really hit a boil in late June when there was supposed to be a phone call set up. She was going to call this office in in Russia where Brittany was supposed to be so they could finally speak by phone, and it didn't happen. The government ended up admitting that they forgot to staff the office. Mm. I have not physically talked to her. I had the the chance. Um, We finally got a phone call approved, and unfortunately, our government, you know, uh, made a mistake um, in not answering her phone calls. And so I haven't been able to talk to her yet. And afterwards, Sherelle Greiner went off and said, you know, if they can't make a phone call happen, how can I trust them to bring her home? I will not be quiet anymore. Um, I will find that balance of, you know, harm versus help in pushing our government to do everything that's possible because being quiet, they are not moving. They are not doing anything. And so my wife is struggling and and we have to help her. The whole time they were still trying to connect not only with Brittany, but with the White House. They were you know, very clear that they wanted to get Sherelle face-to-face with the president and vice president, thinking that's the best way to make the case. It finally got to a point where her best outlet, her, her, her best path to the White House was just to speak out on television when she had the opportunity. I know that you want to speak with President Biden. Absolutely. I just keep hearing that he has the power. She's a political pun. So if they're holding her because they want you to do something, then I want you to do it. On the 4th of July, TJ, on Independence Day, and all of the implications that that chosen date involves, Brittany Griner took a bold step. What did she do? She wrote a letter that was brought from, uh, I believe, her lawyers, uh, sent to her representatives, and then delivered to the White House, a handwritten letter pleading directly to President Biden saying, don't forget me and the other detainees. It reads in part, as I sit here in a Russian prison, alone with my thoughts and without the protection of my wife, family, friends, Olympic jersey, or any accomplishments, I'm terrified I might be here forever. She added, I realize you're dealing with so much talking to the president, but please don't forget about me and the other American detainees. Please do all you can to bring us home. Her language was also very deliberate. You know, keep in mind, anything that that she writes, that she gets or that she sends from there, everybody knows Russia is reading every single word of it. There was nothing she was going to send from there that Russia wasn't okay with having before Biden's eyes. Mm. What she emphasized was pretty interesting, and that was her father's status as a Vietnam War veteran talked about what the 4th of July had meant to her growing up, about the sacrifices people had made. She has taken a lot of backlash in the U.S. about her stance on the national anthem, saying that it probably shouldn't be played before games um, for her work on social justice issues, that she's gotten a lot of criticism 
from. You know, it's, it's clear that, that it was deliberate. They're trying to address, hey, look, this is still an American over there. Whatever you think of her, this is someone who not only did her father serve in uniform, but she wore her country's uniform in the Olympics and won two gold medals. That's part of the message they're trying to send. But the, the bigger thing is just doing anything they can to get her story directly in front of the president because he's the guy who can pick up the phone and say, get it done. And so how does President Biden respond to this letter? They reacted pretty quickly, and they got on the phone with Sherelle Griner. As we said, it wasn't the face-to-face -face meeting that they wanted, but it was clear the White House knew it had to respond. There has been a lot of pressure against them. Brittany Griner's supporters are not somebody that he wants to disappoint or, or anger. You know, the people I talk to in the government who work on these cases say, the pressure doesn't help. We're doing our jobs. We need to get this done no matter what. But there's a recognition that perception can be reality. People want to see him doing something. So, yeah, they got on the phone. They spoke to Sherelle Griner, told her that they were committed to this, that they want to get her and other people home. And President Biden wrote his own letter, which was hand-delivered to Brittany Griner in Russia. Elizabeth Rood, who's the charge d'affaires at the U.S. Embassy, she's essentially the number two figure there under the U.S. ambassador. She was in court again and said that she gave her the letter, that Brittany read it. I was able to speak with Ms. Greiner in the courtroom. Uh, she said that she is eating well, she's able to read books, uh, and under the circumstances, she is doing well. Most important, I was able to share with Ms. Greiner a letter from President Biden, and Ms. Greiner was able to read that letter. She's doing as well as, as could be expected. She has the chance to read, and she does have people to talk to, which they say is a big deal. It seems safe to say that the president and the vice president, they do have their eyes on this. They have been engaging, talking about this story, acknowledging the things that they have been asked to acknowledge. How does that change the dynamics of the situation? It can't have no effect, right? I mean, look at, look at everything going on in the world this week. It was funny. I was asked recently by an Irish radio station why there's not more coverage of this here. And I said, well, we, we have a lot going on, you know, which is true. Right. And yet, despite the insanity of the American news cycle, the White House has been asked about this every day this week. I mean, how many stories reach that level, mm. especially about an American athlete? Everyone I've spoken to has said it, it has to have some effect. It's hard to measure it. I mean, are they more engaged? Are they more likely to make a deal? I don't know. I don't know what kind of progress they'd already made. And it's not all in the hands of the State Department. The lead negotiator in this is an independent citizen. It's Bill Richardson, former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. He has an organization as a private citizen negotiating for people like Brittany Griner. They're still doing their work. Does President Biden's influence have anything to do on that? That comes into play when Richardson thinks he's got a deal and then comes back to the State Department in the White House and says, here's what it'll take to get her home. At that point, you've got the Justice Department weighing in, the State Department's gonna weigh in, and then the White House is gonna have a debate over not only foreign policy objectives, but the politics of it. That's why they want to be in the president's head. He's the guy who makes the call. 
coming up. TJ, we discuss how the framework for that deal looks right now. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. So, TJ, you just spoke about the campaign, the publicity, and how all of that is still going strong in the U.S., being sparked by Grinders Camp. And the WNBA clearly has taken up the torch here. In recent months, they've been putting pressure on the government explicitly, Biden by name explicitly, to do everything they can to bring Brittany Griner home. But I am curious from the Russian perspective, has the Russian government itself, beyond sending signals through the press, said anything about this? For the most part, Russia has said very little about this. Um, mostly what you get is messages through... Russian state media that you know are from the Kremlin. But Sergei Ryabkov, who's the deputy foreign minister, actually spoke this week and directly addressed it and said, you know, we have a long-established form of discussing these matters. He called the American discussion about this hype and noise. And he has, you know, a couple of times said, we've got to see how this plays out in court. It's once again a message for, for two audiences. One is international, which is hey, we're still a country to be taken seriously. Don't, don't treat us like, like some kind of joke. But it's a pretty similar message to the domestic audience there as well, saying we're not going to be bullied. The Russian criminal justice system is legitimate, whether it's for Russians or anybody else. It is a big part of Putin's government to maintain what objectively is, is a facade. And behind the facade is this negotiation, this demand, TJ, this trade. What is the status of that hypothetical trade between the U.S. and Russia for Brittany Griner? What have you heard as to the latest on a potential prisoner swap? You have to take absolutely everything with a grain of salt. What I'm hearing is well removed from the central discussions. But most of it has been around a man named Victor Boot, who I believe we discussed before, who's got the very catchy nickname of the Merchant of Death. Yes. He's a guy who was an arms dealer. The U.S. busted him in a sting in Thailand and ended up charging him with contributing to terrorism, supporting terrorism. He's doing 25 years here. He is kind of a folk hero in Russia. And I had to admit, I didn't even know until this week that, you know, some of the art that he's done in prison is on display around Russia. He's got that kind of folk status. Mm. And their government has described him as a, essentially a political prisoner who the U.S. targeted. 
That's who they want back. And they've asked for him several times. And we know they want him back because they floated it through TASS, the official state news agency. And his name keeps coming up. The U.S. has not wanted to trade for him. He's been here for several administrations now. Trump didn't want to trade for, you know, his, his administration didn't want to trade for him. Obama didn't want to trade for him. There is some sense, and again, this is nothing to bank on, but that the fact that the White House wants both Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan, the American I mentioned who's been there since 2018, that maybe Victor Boot is on the table in a way he wasn't before. The people I've spoken to, again, they're not speaking specifically about this case. They're speaking in generalities. But in cases like this, there are multiple people here that the U.S. could offer and that they're probably putting together packages involving everybody but Victor Boot. Um, at the end of the day, he might be what it takes. So it's worth noting at the end here, TJ, that the WNBA All-Star Game is on Sunday. Brittany Griner has been named an honorary starter part of this movement to galvanize attention on her case. And both the commissioner of the WNBA, Kathy Engelbert, and Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, they have been very outspoken now about the need to bring her home. I just think about what you said the last time we talked, about how this is an ultramarathon and not a sprint. And so are you thinking of the timeline from here in terms of weeks, in terms of months, or in terms of years? Yes, I mean, it's crazy. It's it's not just an ultra marathon. It's an ultra marathon that might end in 100 yards. And you don't know until all of a sudden you see the finish line. The people I've spoken to have said there is a sense of optimism. What's that worth? A sense of optimism. You know, nothing until she comes home. At least there is that feeling. But there is the agony of knowing that you are existing at Vladimir Putin's will and that at any second you may think you have a deal and Putin or someone in the government could say, no, you don't, we want more. What's it to them if Brittany Griner spends another week, another year, another five years in prison? They'll get what they want. The pressure is really more on our White House to get something done than it is on the Kremlin. TJ Quinn, thank you for covering and running this marathon with us. Oh, happy to run alongside you. Thanks. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And our show is produced by Bradford Craig, Alexander Hyacinth, Mike Johns, Heather Lombardo, Ryan Nantel, Mike Philbrick, Andy Tennant, Chris Tuminello, and Aaron Vale. Special thanks this week to Andres Soto, Jalen Harris, Ty Reeves, and Jackson Angelo. I'll talk to you Monday.